Hello, it's Paul Scott here with my weekly podcast summarising what we've discussed in the small cap value reports on Stockopedia, where myself and Graham Neary cover trading updates and results statements. We've covered 27 companies this week, which is good, and I did uh, an audio interview as well. I'm trying to do at least one audio interview per week. Um, This week I spoke to Paul Hawkins, who's a professional bond trader, spent his whole career in quite senior positions, uh, major UK banks trading, I think he said 100 million a day in corporate bonds. So that was really, really interesting. That was on Thursday or Friday, I think. I'll come on to that. Now, markets generally have bounced quite a bit, but small caps, it's still quite muted, the bounce. But I'll come on to that at the end of the podcast. Anyway, looking at Monday, Graham looked at Bioventix, BVXP, very, very interesting little company with an incredible profit margin. Uh, Now, I looked at Cerulean, C-E-R. This is really good, this company. It's a software company that produces billing software for telecoms companies, which seem to be very, very sticky. Now, Graham, I remember, spotted this one a few years ago when it was about £1.50. And they've um, they've about they've gone up about eight or nine fold since then. Now could so which got me thinking: Could we have predicted that this share would do so well? And the honest answer is no. I don't think we could. There was nothing really to suggest that this back then that this company was going to be a major multi bag. Well, a, a big multi bagger. Um, it's just that they just kept winning loads of contracts. So I suppose you could say the the key thing to look for is companies starting to accelerate the the rate at which they win contracts. That certainly happened at Cerulean. Now, uh, balance sheet and cash flow are strong. I reported on this, as I say, on Monday. Rather stingy with dividends, because it's got plenty of cash, £20 million cash. Shares are expensive on a PE basis at Cerulean, C-E-R, not Carillion. <laughs> this is Cerulean, C-E-R. Um, shares are expensive but the company's performing so well I think it's justified anyway I reached out to them and um, asked to speak to the CEO in a recorded interview and they've agreed so that's good so far I've only had one company turn me down for um, free publicity and that was Shoezone which was rather disappointing because I think they're performing really really well so they didn't say why they didn't want to do an interview maybe uh, maybe management are just too busy I don't know but anyway everyone else I've approached has agreed and I think the unique thing about my CEO interviews is I, I approach companies that I think are really doing well Um, that have sound balance sheets that are putting out positive trading updates and so on. They have to meet quite a strict set of criteria. So I only usually find one or two each week uh, that fit my criteria. So you know when you see a podcast coming through from me that it's highly selective in, in, in terms of the reason I'm reporting on that company is because I think they're trading really, really well. Uh, I do have to stress, obviously, though, there are absolutely not recommendations or tips or anything like that. You know, it's not advice. Our ethos at Stockopedia and me personally is just we want to, you know, just put ideas out there for people to then go off and do much more detailed research because, you know, we could miss things and nobody uh, can predict the future. Sorry, I'm having to keep my phone on because I've got a curry uh, that's, that's due to be delivered in 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, So anyway, going back to Cerulean, yeah, thumbs up from me and I'll be interviewing the CEO next week. Uh, But shares are pricey, but that's because the company's doing so well. 
Next, I looked at Fulcrum Utility Services, FCRM. Now, unfortunately, this one put out another profit warning. I did buy some on the basis that it had a big cash pile and looked a good turnaround. And Christopher Mills is a big investor here who refinanced it, I think, at 20 pence per share, possibly, last year. Um, so it was looking good turnaround, but it's put out a profit warning and the shares have now dropped to about 4p. Um, it, the problem is it's uh, fulcrum, it's making a, a loss, an adjusted EBITDA loss, so that's the best possible way of presenting the loss of £3 million in each of H1 and H2, and it's uh, taken longer than expected to resolve owners' contracts. And the deadly uh, thing at the end is net cash is down to £4.8 million, and it says it's in discussions with substanti substantial shareholders. Uh, to ensure that the group remains adequately funded. Well, that's no good for me. I'm out. I'm gone. I've 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 sold that one as I disclosed in the in the small cap value report that I was pondering at a sale. I slept on it and then just decided, yeah, just get rid of it. It doesn't meet my criteria anymore. I took about a loss of 30, 35%, something like that, and I'm just happy to move on. I've, obviously, it's bounced a little bit since then, so I probably sold right at the bottom. But where there's funding or solvency risk, I'm not interested. I'm gone. And I don't want something languishing in my portfolio that's making me worry. I'd rather move on and buy something else. We also had a profit warning from Aferian, A-F-R-N. I'm trying to think what this used to be called. They changed their name. They do set-top boxes for TVs and software. It's not really an area that I understand, so I've always held back from uh, this share. They've also blown what used to be a pretty big cash pile on acquisitions, uh, which means, of course, you've now got a top... Oh, there's the curry. Hang on. Oh, that was delicious. You can't beat a chicken jalfrezi, can you? <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Amino. That was the old name of the company that is now Ethereum PLC. So I was just talking about their profit warning. Now, this was an interesting aspect of its profit warning. It was due to customer destocking. Now, this is a theme I think I mention in practically every podcast. It's uh, a real issue because a lot of companies build up inventories over the last year or two because of supply chain problems. And in, in many cases now, we're starting to see companies unwind those inventories, reduce them back down again, which, of course, impacts the company that's supplying them, which is exactly what's happened with Aferian. Uh so, and the trouble is you can't really tell um, this from company accounts because it, we're not talking about their invent inventories. We're talking about, excuse me, their customers' inventories, which, of course, you're not aware of. So this is a tricky one. I think as supply chains normalise, we need to be quite careful uh, with, with companies destocking. The obvious one was Luceco, L-U-C-E where the, all the bumper profits in 2020 and 21 were down to customers, uh, well, a DIY boom and customers uh, building up inventories that they're now running down. So profits have, have collapsed there. Um, this is a recurring theme I think we'll see from other companies as well. I wish I could tell you which, but unfortunately I can't. Now, the profit warning at Ethereum triggered broker downgrades of about 32% for uh, FY22 and 34% for the following year. So the shares have dropped about a similar percentage. They dropped about 40% on the day. 
So I've been I've crunched through the numbers and even on the reduced forecasts it doesn't look particularly cheap. So and they've blown five and a half million dollars, it reports in dollars, Ethereum does, blew five and a half million dollars in costs for an aborted major acquisition. That seems crazy to me. Uh, bear in mind this the market cap of this thing is only about sixty nine million pounds. So to blow five and a half million dollars on an aborted acquisition that really ma makes me question um, what management are doing here. They seem to have a, a strategy of, of going on an acquisition spree, but it's not clear from the accounts over the last few years that they've really added any value from these acquisitions. So on balance, I don't see anything attractive at Ethereum, I'm afraid. Now, Mello was on Monday at 5pm. Now, unfortunately, I nodded off, so I missed it. But uh, so it was a good thing I wasn't on, on one of the panels. <laughs> uh, they had some really interesting companies presenting Warpaint, W7L, which is one of my favourites. Quixent QXT has been performing well this year. And Galliford Tri GFRD looks quite interesting. So I'm going to look back at the recording from Mellow and, um, and, and have a look at those presentations. I really, really like seeing online presentations from companies. It just gives you a better feel for who the management are what they're like and what their strategy is and so on. I should mention that Mellow London is about two and a half weeks time. It's back at the Clayton Hotel in Chiswick for a two-day conference. Um, that's Wednesday 16th and Thursday 17th of November. So I know David's offering a 50% discount for Stockopedia subscribers. He's posted on Stockopedia with a special discount code. Do try and get along to them uh, to support these initiatives because I think it's very much a case of use it or lose it with physical in-person uh, conferences. Um, but so much goes online and to be fair it is so convenient attending webinars online, but it would be such a pity to completely lo lose the social aspect of investing as well. So I'm going to be turning up. Um, I think I've been put on one panel to discuss some individual small caps, but it'll, yeah, it'd just be nice seeing everyone again after a two or three year gap, or at least most of the people. We've sadly lost a few from our investing community. The lovely Bill Makins is no longer with us. Bill was a wonderful man, absolutely charming. What a great life he lived to, to, to about 90 and did so many good things for uh, conservation and the environment and so on. And then the lovely Steve Holdsworth as well, I must mention. Go Stevie, who just was a, a little ray of sunshine. He was such a nice guy. Incredibly supportive to me personally. And I had a lovely lunch with him back in March and then only found out in August that he died. So, yeah, we'll both be greatly missed. Now, on Monday, Graham looked at Bioventix, BVXP. So see Monday's report for his views on that. That's an incredible little company. Only a handful of staff um, makes a stunning profit market margin. It must be the highest operating profit margin on the market, I think. Uh, big barriers to entry. Very interesting share. But it's kind of gone sideways for quite a while. So uh, I, don't, I don't know enough about that one to really form a view on it, other than to be tremendously impressed with uh, with its financial performance um, D4T4 which looks a bit like the word data which must be what it's about I've held this previously, interesting company I'm not currently hold, uh, holding anyway, Graham looked at the interim results for that on Monday Tuesday the 25th of October this was a busy day, we looked at seven companies, Superdry was my first one, I spent a couple of hours on that, uh, I was up really early looking at that. Uh, now, the auditors have resigned, or they did several months ago. 
And I, I did some digging and went back through the annual annual reports and it's basically had for about the last three years it's had really quite major problems with its finance department all sorts of um, internal control problems uh, it's an absolute mess I couldn't believe the stuff I read in the annual reports and I copy pasted a lot of it into Tuesday's report and that this has been going on for so long uh, now, I uh, I think it looks pretty damning, actually, in the order to resigning, because these internal control problems have actually got worse. And it, it's, it covers things including inventories and trade payables. So if they don't really know what they've got in stock or how much they owe their suppliers, that, I think, is very, very unsettling. So I've taken Super Dry, S-D-R-Y, off my watch list. Uh, now, Cockney Rebel... Um, Richard Crow did reply to my tweet on it saying I'm surprised you've only just picked up on this you know it was in the company presentation they gave recently they've been open about it uh, and it, of course it's been in the annual reports now going back about three years but how many people actually read the annual reports or uh, saw the auditor's resignation letter because Super Dry did exactly what Cakebox did and they tried to hide it uh, in the RNS um, giving um, um, a title to the RNS that omitted the key information that the auditors had resigned. So I'm sorry, but I just feel this is a potential can of worms because it leaves the company, the shares, very vulnerable to somebody publishing one of these shorting dossiers. That's the thing. And presenting all the information as if it's new. Uh, and I bet you quite a few holders probably are not aware that they've had all these uh, serious accounting problems going on for years now and that the auditors resigned because there'll be a certain number who won't and if there's one of these damning dossiers is published I could see that share being vulnerable to a 20 or 30 percent spike down so it's not something I'd want to hold personally although possibly buy on a spike down that's the other thing. Shoe Zone, um, very, another very good trading update for financial year September 2022 they're really on a roll this company uh, Profit. They've year, ended the the year with profit four and a half percent of ahead of Zeus's forecast. Uh, it's been highly cash generative. Uh, cash pile now over a quarter of the market cap. Well, I'd like to see what the working capital movements are, which might have flattered that a bit. Uh, I remain positive on it. I think it's very good. Sadly, as I might have mentioned earlier, I, I, I reached out to the, the company and asked them if they'd want to do one of my CEO interviews, but they declined the opportunity without giving a reason. So I think that's a pity. Surely they could have found half an hour to talk to uh, the UK's Thirstiest Shares blogger and uh, communicate indirectly with their small shareholders. We also looked at Deep Verge, which has been um, no good. That's trying to do a placing... Uh, I warned about this one in June when I went through the accounts and says there are a lot of funnies in there. It's not very... Uh, it's just just ripping through its cash pile. And the shares have dropped 75% since then. So I know at least one le reader said he sold on my publication of my report in June and thanked me for having saved him some money. So that was nice. We do try to help people make money, although obviously in the last year... Um, that hasn't been the case because of this nasty bear market in small caps. I looked at THG as well, the Huck Group. Um, that's actually amazingly now come into small cap territory. Uh, pretty solid Q3 trading update, I think. The shares are down about 90% from when it floated. No change in the guidance, and it says customer behaviour is stable. 
So that's actually um, worth a look, I think. But I came to the conclusion, despite the share price being 90% down-ish from the float, I mean, a crazy valuation on float, uh, it's not. It's still not really a value share. It's heavily loss-making, burning through cash at a hell of a rate, and it's now dependent on bank borrowing. So, it needs to get its it get its margins up. Um, so, I'm I'm overall I'm probably steering clear of THG. Next, we had Graham looked at SDI. The ticker's SDI as well. This is a, an impressive acquisitive group that's done another acquisition for 13 million, which is less than 10% of its market cap, about 6 or 7%, so not individually that relevant. But they do seem to be very good at executing acquisitions, and there's a lot of experience on the board. Uh, the chairman, I know, is a Stockopedia subscriber. Hello, Ken. And um, he messages me on various things every now and then. Now, the only thing I would say, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, SDI also put out an announcement saying that management, I think the CEO, sold most of his shares in the company, which the market has reacted quite negatively to, with good reason, I think. You know, if the CEO wants to bank bank the profits and sell his shares, I don't see any way of reflecting that positively. Graham also looked at System 1 and Altitude, which uh, I won't speak for Graham, so see Tuesday's report if you're interested. Now, on Wednesday, I don't want to crow about this, but we had two collapses from two companies that I've been warning people away from for a while now. Uh, first one, Made.com, the online furniture chain. Uh, really catastrophic situation. I, as I say, I've been repeatedly warning about this recently because I think it is uh, going bust. Well, their, their takeover talks have terminated. Uh, the website has been uh, closed for taking new orders. So the operational side of the business is definitely bust there's, there's there's no doubt about that really i think days away from that failing and then obviously an administrator would come in and dispose of the assets to the highest bidder um but where does that leave the holding company the there is a potentially interesting angle on this where um it said something about that it's not going to put any more funding into its uh, operating subsidiary which kind of implies that there might be a bit of cash left at the group holding company which means that it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole group has to go bust if the operating subsidiary is is bust. If you have a net cash position at Group Holding Company, uh, you know it might still survive as a cash shell. I don't know, but we haven't got any information on this. And they did say it was about to imminently run out of money, so I wouldn't gamble on this one personally. Um, and also. Meal, M-E-A-L, that's Parsley Box. Oh, dear, oh, dear. One of the worst floats ever. Um, now, this said they're considering delisting the shares. Uh, but the market cap on it dropped from about 10p down to about 1.5p at one point. And I thought to myself, at that level, actually, I should probably buy a few because its own net cash pile was three or four times the, that market cap. And basically, the major shareholders own about three quarters of it. So they could buy out the private shareholders for very little money at that sort, you know, just a few hundred grand. So, but unfortunately, it then I think doubled on Friday to about three, three and a half p. So I missed that opportunity. Uh, it's still got cash in the bank, but it's saying it's going to need to raise more cash. So obviously, the cash burn that it's just the business model isn't working. 
So I think Parsley Box, I'll be glad when that delists. I think it's just, you know, I don't want to waste any more time on it. Now, um, on the Beach Group I also looked at, I think that's starting to look potentially good value as a recovery share, OTB. That's worth a look. Graham looked at Bloomsbury Publishing, BMY, and Vionet, VNET. On Thursday, I looked at Purple Bricks briefly. They've brought in a new CFO. I also looked at Foxton's, FOXT, the London-centric estate agents and lettings business. Um, now, its Q3, Q3 trading update was actually quite good, but um, and it's now trading ahead of expectations for FY1222. So that's good, and singers have raised the forecast by 12%. They've got a, a new CEO who's come in who's quite ambitious and thinks he can really turn the business around. Um, uh, the balance sheet's OK at Foxton's, and the valuation, valuation looks reasonable. Now, it put in a nice spurt first thing in the morning, but gradually that dissipated, and it's back down to about 30p. I don't think it's especially cheap at that level, but... Um, if uh, the, the new CEO is able to strip out a lot of costs, probably people, unfortunately, uh, and remember they pay a lot of people on commissions, so the costs are quite nicely variable according to where we are in the cycle. I think 30p for Foxtons um, should be a reasonable entry price long term, short term, no idea, because they do obviously say macro factors mean that... Um, they're expecting the sales side of things to, to soften. But, it, but a lot of the revenues at Foxton's is now letting books, which is good, reliable, recurring revenue. So, yeah, I think Foxton's is, is worth considering. PCI PAL, PCIP is the ticker, put out a, a good update, trading uh, in line. This is a June 23 year end. Uh, Q1 revenues up 29%, uh, which, which is ahead of forecast of 20% growth this year. Uh, they've got something interesting going on at PCI PAL with new product developments. I haven't looked into that, but I had a one-on-one -on -one call with management not that long ago, and they said they've got really good stuff coming through uh, to the market, and a strong pipeline, they mention. The big drawback with PCIP is obviously they're embroiled in a patent infringement case in America, which is costing about a million pounds a year in fees. Um, it would be good to get that out of the way, but it could drag on till 2024. So that is a cloud over the shares. I think if that cloud were to be removed in some way, then um, this, this stock could re-rate nicely. It's a type of share that is doing badly in a bear market, but I could see that doubling or tripling in a bull market. So just just on a sort of re-rating of growth businesses, that at some point is probably going to happen. Now, Graham looked at a 640 million market cap beer and cider producer called C&C. I have a feeling they're based in Ireland, so as is Graham, so he's got a, an advantage there. I'm sure he's sampled the, the products, but they're Bulmers, Magnus and Tenants, which obviously are widespread in the UK too. Um, quite an interesting turnaround at this one, where it, where it seemed to be submerging in debt, um, but that now appears to be improving, uh, that they've sorted out those issues. And they, of course, bought the uh, rump business of conviviality from the administrators, I think it was, and they got they got a bargain there where conviviality can't say conviviality shareholders refused to refinance the business and basically just gave it away, which was uh, a shame. And then Graham also looked at seeing machines, unfathomable market cap of two hundred and ninety million. Uh, this is the the eternal jam tomorrow share. 
based in Australia. Inspects, uh, SPEC, put out quite a, a nasty profit warning. Graham covered that. It halved in price on, on Thursday on this profit warning. We've been unclear about the valuation on that one since it floated, um, which is always a good idea to be sceptical about new floats, given how desperately bad most of them have been, particularly in 2021, but also 2020. Um, yeah, I had a look at it as well, independently of Graham, and I just think there's too much debt on the balance sheet for me, uh, for Inspects, and they're having to curtail um, some of their expansion plans, so I can't see much merit in that one. Oh, I should add that Thursday I published my interview with Paul Hawkins, who's a, 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 a highly experienced bonds trader. He worked in the city for many years in senior roles in major banks, trading 100 million a day, apparently, in corporate bonds. I, uh, Tamsin interviewed him two years ago in a fantastic interview uh, webinar which is still highly relevant on PI World so do have a look at that first because I deliberately made my interview a sort of follow-on from that and tried to avoid overlapping on the same issues. A lot of commentators and investors currently are talking about corporate bonds because of course this is the first time in about well since about 2008-2009 that we've had even vaguely normalised interest rates, and although base rates are still very low, um, the 10-year gilt now is up to about, well, it dropped to about 3.5%. It did peak at nearly 5% during that kerfuffle around the mini-budget. But And then, obviously, corporate uh, bonds have a spread over and above the risk-free rate, and, which means that on some uh, quite a few uh, corporate bonds now, for good quality large-cap companies, you can get a yield of between 5 and 7 or 8, even 8%. And of course, you're really not risking your capital. There's a slight chance of default risk. But um, because they rank bonds rank higher up uh, the uh, priorities of, of company law, equities at the bottom. So that means that bondholders have much more security than um, equity holders do. So I think for the first time in, as I say, the last 12, 13 years, you can now look at some of these bonds and think, uh, well, actually, I'm not really, really risking my capital and I'm getting a 7 or 8% return, which, okay, that's below inflation currently, but once uh, inflation has dropped back down again, which it probably will at some point, the forecasters seem to think it'll drop to about 7% next year and 2 or 3% the year after, which is logical, I think, given all the, the fact that demand is being snuffed out by this uh, induced recession that we're now going into by s central banks. Uh, so, yeah, you know, if you if you lock into, say, a 10 or more than 10-year bond yield that's giving you a 7 or 8% yield, if you think inflation is going to dissipate again, then that could be a very nice long-term uh, bet. Obviously, if inflation remains ele elevated or goes higher, then bonds uh, would be pretty a pretty bad place to invest. So, really, your your views on on inflation are the key things. Now, I'm I'm really pleased with this interview I did with Paul Hawkins. It's about forty minutes long, but it, we covered an awful lot of ground, and he made some very interesting points. I learned a lot a lot from it. In particular, I'd always assumed that bonds didn't really have covenants to worry about, but he put me right on that. Apparently they, they generally do. And um, so, sorry, having a sip of tea. So that was um, a very illuminating and interesting podcast. So I think you'll enjoy that. Do have a listen to it. The problem with bonds is, of course, that for a lot of them, they're not set up for private investors. So the minimum ticket sizes can be between 50,000 and up to 200,000 on some of them. But Paul gave us some useful pointers 
on ways to get around that, for example, looking at preference shares, which are readily tradable, or, or buying a bond investment trust where the manager will know far more than I could ever know about bonds. So rather than me thinking I can do a better job, it would probably make sense for me to buy an investment trust in bonds. So I might consider that. So lots of, anyway, very, very interesting podcast. Thanks so much to Paul Hawkins for doing it as well. He's an absolute star. What else did I look at on Friday? Oh, likewise. Now, this is um, L-I-K-E. This is the thing that is a challenger to Headlam, H-E-A-D, which is the UK's largest carpets distributor. Likewise is growing quite rapidly by acquisition. The guy who runs Likewise used to run Headlam, um, Tony Brewer. And he's, uh, it's the first time I properly looked at Likewise, and I actually came away quite impressed. It's only, um, it's delivering revenues of about 120 million for this year, so it's quite a significant size already. It's only 18 pence, market cap of 44 million, um, but it warned on profits, and the sh- but the shares didn't drop that much on Friday on this profit warning, because it wasn't one of those profit warnings where you think, oh God, the wheels are coming off, I should just sell. It was actually them just saying, yeah, costs are a bit higher than we expected, demand softened a little bit, so we're trimming our guidance, which frankly in the current market... Uh, macro situation really should that be coming as a surprise to anyone so it didn't drop that much actually it was 15 20 percent drop on friday i don't think it's changed the fundamental investment case for the business which is actually quite good i think if they can um really reach scale and they've got some inefficiencies as well that they were talking about with regard to particular warehouses and so on anyway the balance sheet is not bad as well it's got a nice pile of freehold property uh, very much similar to Headlam, which Headlam's one of the key benefits there is that they own over 100 million of freehold property. So Headlam's a lovely value share. Likewise, I think I, I, I'm not going to buy any myself, but I think I think that's quite an interesting growth company. Maybe something to look at for the future, possibly. Uh, just an up, another update on Made.com. Retail Gazette says it's about to go into administration with PwC, my old firm that I trained with. Uh, set up to be the administrator apparently and the founder lashes out at, at, at the current management as well now franchise brands now R.I. Davies one of our regulars in the comments section who posts fantastic comments uh, he uh, chastised me a little for for covering seeing machines the day before or rather Graham did but we missed franchise brands despite it putting out a positive trading update. So uh, I was going to sort of be defensive about it, but then I thought, actually, you know what? He's got a point. You know, I take with you if you if you if you mess mess up in any way, you just apologise and uh, learn from it. So I uh, got up early on Friday to write a section up about franchise brands. F R A N. Uh, yeah, look, sounds really good. Really good, positive Q3 trading update ahead of expectations, which. It's surprising, isn't it? We're still getting quite good trading updates, and most companies are putting out in-line updates at the moment. Maybe the downturn hasn't started to bite yet. Um, But it's got a really good track record, this thing has. It floated in 2016. It's backed by shrewd investor Nigel Ray. The chairman owns a similar percentage, so the two of them put together own nearly half the business. And you can't beat the owner's eye, can you? Um, I would imagine Nigel Ray probably has a a bit of input into it as well. Uh, He's um, very well connected, very successful, of course. Uh, uh, The only thing we always say about franchise brands, whenever we look at it, it's not cheap. It's quite expensive. Um, But the track record, I think, does uh, justify that. And interestingly, it said, 
that it's American acquisition of Filter, that's the which was separately listed actually, running um, some sort of uh, franchise business connected with cooking oil. And not only is that trading well, but it's given them an entree into the franchise market in America, which they say is a franchise-friendly business environment in America. So that dangles the interesting idea of franchise brands really scaling up, potentially, with bigger acquisitions in America, although I think they'd have to take on debt and or issue equity to do any more acquisitions because the balance sheet is, is this is the problem with acquisitive companies, it's nearly all intangibles, goodwill. Uh, finally, I looked at Mark's Electrical, MRK. Now, this was on my backlog list from about two weeks ago. Uh, I really like management there, so I might I might um, interview them at some point or invite them to do an interview with me because they come over, so, the manager, the founder just comes across so well. Just one of those down-to-earth entrepreneurs who's on top of all the costs, who's just trying to set up an efficient, well-run business, which I think he's done but in a horrible market, supplying electrical goods, with no pricing power, you know, and the profits are reducing despite, um, despite all the positive revenue growth in a, you know, it's definitely gaining shares, but profits are now dipping. So I, I can't really justify the current valuation, even though it's fallen a lot. Um, I think long term, though, Mark's Electrical could be uh, a decent thing. Moving on to macro, and I should again emphasise these are just points, uh, interesting points I've picked up during the week from, obviously I'm just constantly doing research on companies and the economy and markets generally, so I just jot them down on a notepad and then come back to it uh, at the end of the week in in this podcast. So PMIs, which are purchase managers index, obviously a key forward-looking economic metric, these have turned negative um, in not, and I think it was ITV News, which for the first time, I think, in this current economic crisis actually compared us with other countries and said, look, this is happening everywhere. And they showed the trend of the PMIs in the UK, in the Eurozone and in America. And they're following exactly the same trend with a few you know, minor variances. So these have turned negative in all three of those areas. So this is really pointing now towards um, falling profits at a lot of cyclical companies. Well, that we, you know, we're almost certainly now heading into a into a recession. We just all hope it's a mild one. So, which does make it difficult to be bullish about shares, doesn't it? Because ultimately, if profits are going to start falling, which they will do for a lot of companies now going forward, um, I don't know. You know, I was starting to feel a bit more um, positive last weekend. I just can't make my mind up. It just seems. It seems the wrong time. It seems too early to be getting bullish again about shares again when you just know that a lot of these shares are going to see reduced profits on fundamentals. Um, oh, an interesting report from Ernst & Young, another big accountancy firm, saying that there were 86 profit warnings in Q3, which I think is for listed companies. Now, these that was the highest number of profit warnings since 2008 E&Y are reporting, and that's particularly, no surprises here, within retail sector, travel and food. Um, And I think that figure of eight, I haven't actually seen the original report, but I think that figure of 86 profit warnings covers companies that have lowered expectations as well, without not necessarily saying, oh, we're going to miss uh, our current year profits, here's a profit warning. I think it also covers companies that are guiding guiding um, future earnings down with the brokers. 
So again, that's pretty negative, isn't it? Um, especially on e-commerce shares related 2020 to 21 boom won't repeat. I've written down here. I think we covered that point before. So yeah, with e-commerce shares in particular, and companies that had some sort of related boom in 2020 and 21. I think we've, like Luceco, which I mentioned before, I think we've really now got to just ignore the results for 2020 and 21. We shouldn't be anchoring to those numbers or those share prices and saying that's normal, because it wasn't normal. It was abnormal, and I think you have to look at them with fresh eyes and just say, what are they worth now? And in many cases, um, I think with a lot of e-commerce shares now, a lot of those are looking really cheap. So um, I, maybe my uh, long overdue prediction of a bounce in the sector is starting to happen. I saw ASOS is quite volatile and bounced. Boohoo's bounced quite a bit. I think my when I said it, uh, I think it had hit a low at 33p. I was pretty bang on for once after having been completely wrong for the previous 18 months or so. So yeah, I, I've still got some Boohoo and I'm, I'm probably going to add to that position because I think... Um, I think it's it's too cheap, um, whilst accepting that obviously it does have internal problems and market-wide problems. Now, the US economy is slowing now, or at least the rate of growth is slowing, I picked up on. I think that was re reported by CNBC. But the interesting thing is, when you get uh, information like that out in the US, it actually, it actually seems to be bullish for American shares, because the market is now thinking that the Fed won't need to be so aggressive in raising interest rates, which, of course, higher interest rates are bad for shares, because um, the risk-free alternative yield is so much better, and so equities derate, and also because growth companies are not valued um, in quite the same way in a, in a high interest rate environment. So... Um, but that doesn't seem to have really fed across that much to the UK. I looked at, I mean, the, the Dow has gone from about 29,000 up to 33,000. But if you look on the chart, I know the Dow's a silly index, but if you look on the chart, it's zigzagging up and down, and you often get powerful rallies in a bear market. And it's pretty much bang on now exactly the point where you would probably expect it to sell off again. Uh, I can't, I, I, I don't know. And we haven't seen anywhere near as much of a powerful rally in the UK in small caps. I was looking at the AIM and the uh, SMXX charts just before I started doing this. And yes, we've had some quite nice bounces, but nowhere near the same size as the bounce in, in America. The dollar's also softened a little bit, but from a position of quite extreme strength. Sterling and the euro have both bounced against the the dollar. It's really important to remember that uh, the current situation is all about dollar strength. It's not sterling weakness, it's dollar strength. Um, I've covered that point before, but it's worth reiterating. And uh, there was a very interesting graph on The Spectator. They've got one of the readers, thank you for this, flagged up. They've got a data section. So if you do Spectator and data, and it will come up with a very nice um, series of charts under various headings showing you key economic data. Very, very interesting. And that um, showed the effect of the truss mini-budget on 10-year gilt yields. Uh, it's quite interesting. They've drawn lines on the chart and put arrows on it and said, you know, this is when the mini-budget 
came out. This was when Kwasi Kwarteng resigned and so on. I mean, you know, with hindsight, I think their strategy was good, but they were like just bulls in a china shop. They didn't put in place the the necessary consensus for the controversial measures they wanted to do. And there was an interesting article in Bloomberg saying that it was actually the Bank of England that brought down that government because they were pulling in the opposite direction. And, of course, guilt yields uh, went haywire, and that was the end. Of, and then they had to, the government had to U-turn. So... I think there's got to be better coordination between the Bank of England and the government. But I think Rishi Sunak seems a safe pair of hands on that front. The trouble is now, though, they're going to want to sound and act tough all the time, aren't they? Which probably means that that's contractionary for the economy if they're starting to slash uh, government departments' funding and capex and uh, government capex and all this sort of thing. It does seem that we're, we're, we're now probably more likely to go into a recession, almost certain, I think. Um, now, oh, mortgages. Again, I wanted to emphasise the fact that I think house builders are now very, very cheap. I think I'm going to start dabbling in that sector. Everybody seems to think that people are going to stop buy ho- buying houses because fixed-rate mortgages have shot up to 6%. But there was a very interesting graph on the Spectator data section showing that there's been a huge change in increase over many, many years now of people getting fixed-rate mortgages, so that now most mortgages are fixed, uh, the, the overwhelming majority. But of course, the logical thing to do now, is to, if you're remortgaging, is to go for a discounted tracker rate, which can uh, bring your costs right down, nowhere near 6%. You'd be talking about maybe 25 3%. And then, you know, once interest rates and inflation have come down again, then you go back onto a fixed rate at a much lower rate. Obviously, it's higher risk doing that, but it does mean that I think people will still be able to afford to buy homes. Um, and there's just a structural shortage of supply. Um, so not necessarily all doom and gloom for estate agents and house builders, in my opinion, although they're bound to have some softening up. Now, Fraser's uh, have been buying up a, a stake in ASOS. They've got 5% of that. This is the Mike Ashley outfit, Fraser's. Used to be Sports Direct. Uh, he's buying up so many um, companies, isn't he? It's incredible. I mean, just looking at the online companies he's bought... Um, He's bought My Sale. That was the Australian thing that disappointed repeatedly. Um, I saw it first. That was set up by Jalal uh, Kamani, the brother of Boohoo's founder. He sold. He couldn't make that work, and he sold it to Fraser's. Misguided again, failed effectively, and had to be bailed out by uh, Fraser's. Now uh, he's taken stakes in ASOS and N Brown as well, apparently. So it's very interesting. I wonder what Mike Ashley's intentions are. He seems to be paying a lot of attention to online. Uh, oh, directors loading up with share options. This is driving me mad. You just, on a daily basis, see, see, see companies where they just award a load of free options at bombed-out share prices to directors. They're so tone-deaf, I think, you know, how investors who've watched the value of our shares plummet, and then you see directors backing up the truck for a lo- to, to, to line their own pockets with a load of f- cheap or free share options. It really gets up my goat, So, and I can't be the only one who is really really fed up with this i think i don't think there's any evidence that share options lock in good people or or incentivize performance at all in fact all the evidence i've seen is that share options and other things like that pay out largely randomly i think in many cases for average management if they just happen to be in charge of a company when the sector's doing well and the economy's growing anyway 
So, oh, there was something interesting in the profit warning from Inspecs. They said that Germany and France are particularly weak markets and that German consumer confidence has hit a 25-year low. So, again, I do think we should uh, stop being parochial and think that everything's down to Liz Truss and actually remember that other countries are suffering considerably. Uh, big tech crashing. Oh, yeah, that's been another story this week. Face- Facebook shares have really, really sold off. And I believe Amazon dropped heavily after hours the other day. Twitter's been bought by Elon Musk, who... Uh, <laughs> what a strange chap. Part genius, part... Um, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, anyway, he, he walked into Twitter head office carrying a kitchen sink. I don't know quite what, what was meant by that, but uh, he is, things are certainly never dull when Elon Musk's around, are they? So it'll be very interesting to see what he does with Twitter. And um, the the photograph of the of the faces of the staff as he was talking to them that went on, went round on the internet was hysterically funny. Uh, one woman was, 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 was openly crying and the rest of them looked very, very stony-faced and unhappy. So I think they're their protected little world is uh, going to be shaken up by uh, Elon. And also I noticed bank shares came under pressure this week. HSBC and NatWest both sold off about 7 or 8% on their latest updates, saying that conditions were worsening. So, <sighs> sorry to sound negative again, but, you know, yes, we've got some great cheap valuations in small caps still, but I can't really see conditions for anything more than just a bounce. I... <sighs> There's so much more bad news to come that it really feels to me like this bear market might 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 grind on for a while yet. So sorry to be downbeat. Right, I've got to stop. We're at 45 minutes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Have a good week. Bye.